The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, love them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. The question is not, if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help, what will happen to them? That's the question. Your life was a first. 
shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Ecclesia, even in this challenging season, we continue to be committed to the work God calls us, sharing the gospel, caring for the vulnerable in our city and beyond, caring well especially for our children. As we each consider our own part in that offering, please speak this prayer along with me. Almighty God, we long to love you and one another as you love us. Fill us with continued worship and gratitude to sustain us in uncertain times. Help our thoughts to be holy and our hearts to remain generous. As you free us from all anxiety and fear of scarcity, we seek each day to place our new trust in you. Reminded that even in the seeming desert, your banquet table is set for feasting. Through this humble offering of our family and in all things, may you be glorified. Amen. Ecclesia, this is Pastor Chris, and my job this week is to update you on the things that we get to do together, things that none of us could ever do alone. We're continuing to feed people, homeless brothers and sisters all across Houston, in Argentina, uh, in Venezuela, and Colombia at the border, uh, more than a thousand meals every day. Uh, God's really blessed us. And this week, we also found an opportunity to serve some women in need in Mexico City, specifically some Venezuelan women that were trafficked from Venezuela to Mexico City. They were being exploited. We have the opportunity, Ecclesia, to care for them, to help set them up in jobs, get them a new and fresh start. This is the kind of work that we get to do because we have friends and partners at Pozo, a beautiful ministry in Mexico City. As God continues to bless us, we're going to work together locally and we're going to work with our partners globally. Ecclesia, we can do all of these things together because each of us give and participate. You may be able to make a big gift or a small gift, whether you automate it online or you choose to give via text, as many of us have in this season, via 84321. It's a simple text message. It sets up a link and you can continue to give and share in what God allows us to do together. I'm excited this week to share with you our next award winner of the We're Gonna Make It Through Award. Leslie Miller is a longtime Ecclesian. She's a beloved sister and she has been working in the COVID unit at LBJ Hospital. She works as a physical therapist. Part of her job is to continue to turn people on their sides, on their back, on their stomach as they're connected to a ventilator to give them the best chance to breathe well and use the full capacity of their lungs. 
It's not an easy job. I've been praying with Leslie. I've had some pastoral calls with her. And in the midst of all this, as she and her husband have continued to serve outside of that, to bring supplies like so many of you will hopefully bring again this week for us to feed the homeless and care for the homeless. They've been doing everything they can do. And this last week, our dear sister Leslie lost a beloved friend, uh, a friend that is from Argentina and currently living in Argentina. And they lost her in a similar way to my friend a few weeks ago. They lost her to despair. And in the midst of that, Leslie has connected with our pastors and we've planned a a small memorial service online to celebrate her friend's life. And and they also have gathered resources and funding um, so that we could send money to Argentina to provide mental health care for other people that may have been quarantined, maybe struggling with depression. And we're gonna work with our partners there in Argentina to serve people in their mental health needs. See, this is what we're made to do. We take tragedy, right? Let me be clear with you. Leslie has been very sad. I've had some times of deep sadness. But in that sadness, people of faith don't become lethargic. We actually move, we act, we respond. And this is a season that things are really tense in our country and in the world. And I wanna invite you to engage. You don't need to be silent. Some of you say, well, I don't wanna be silent, but I don't know what to say. Brene Brown says it well, and this is what I wanna invite you to is empathy. And empathy, she says, it has no script. There's no right way or wrong way to do it. Now, many of you would say, Brene can say that, but almost anything anybody says, it feels like it's not the right thing. She puts it this way. She says, it's simply listening. That may be the best thing we can do. Holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting and communicating that incredibly healing message of you're not alone. We have a lot of brothers and sisters struggling right now. And the best thing that you can do or say is just say, I'm here with you. Years ago, my mentor at Baylor, Dr. Glenn Hilburn told me what I ought to do when I visit people in the hospital. I've made a lot of hospital visits through the years. This has been a tough season. I can't even visit many of you if you're in the hospital. But Dr. Hilburn told me, he said, your words will mean very little in the hospital. He said, mostly what you should do is place your hand on their shoulder in a way that says, I'm with you, you're not alone. And he said, Chris, you're a rare pastor. You have a good singing voice, you should sing. And he invited me to sing hymns with people in the hospital in times of great need and sorrow. I I don't know what to say to people in this season that are hurting, people that are fearful. I have some fear. We've all experienced some trauma as we've watched what's happening in our world. The best thing we can do is stand with each other and say, you're not alone and I'm not alone. We are in this together. Even though our circumstances may be very different, let's leave no one behind. I'm really grateful that three years ago, our dear brother, Sean Palmer, um, accepted an invitation to come onto our staff. He's been a faithful pastor and friend And in recent weeks, not only to our community, but to many others, as we struggle with issues of race and racism and hatred and fear and police brutality, Sean has been a resource for many. And today he's gonna open the scriptures with us as he has done so many times and invite us to empathy, to love and to beauty. So will you share with me a moment as I get to pray for Sean and for you and ask God to bless him and the words that he'll share with you. Lord God, I thank you for my brother, Sean Palmer. I thank you for the teaching that he's going to offer today. I believe that his words will be words of hope 
and beauty and reconciliation, that he will be a peacemaker in a world in desperate need of peace. God, we know that you have called us to be one big, beautiful family. We know that heaven will be so rich and diverse. And we believe that our city, Houston, Texas, one of the reasons it's so beautiful is because it is so richly diverse. And we ask God today that your word and your truth would permeate our hearts and call each of us to also be peacemakers in our workplace, in our friend groups, in our circles of influence. Lord, may it be so. We pray this prayer together and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Hello, Ecclesia. When I was nine years old, my parents did what every nine-year-old wants their parents to do. They took me to a gospel meeting revival. And this wasn't just like down the street in our little town. We lived in this little town called Gautier, Mississippi. And there was this traveling evangelist who went around places and talked to large gatherings and stadiums. And for some reason, my parents thought that it was a good idea to take me at nine to this meeting. But they did throw in a little bit of a sweetener. On our way there, we would stop and have dinner at this seafood restaurant called Cock of the Walk. And when I was a kid, we just didn't go out to eat all that often. So whenever we did, it was a really big deal. And if we went to a seafood restaurant, which was more expensive than just like hanging out at McDonald's, and we hardly ever went to McDonald's. Like when my dad took us out to McDonald's, like we had to get burgers with no cheese because he said, we got cheese at home. That's how rare it was for us to go out to eat. And so he took us to this place, the Cock of the Walk in Mississippi. And we loved it. It was great. I had never experienced anything like that before. And I loved it so much that I begged, I pleaded with him before we left that he would bring us back. And he said, yeah, I'll bring you back sometime. That was when I was nine. To this day, he has not taken me back. And I still remember so now my dad's much older and I'm much older, but he is raising three little girls. They are 13, 12 and five. And so when I was talking with him the other night, he was telling me that they had just gone out and bought them some shoes. I was like, why are you buying them shoes? It's the middle of the summer. Nobody's going any place. They don't need any new shoes. And he told me, well, I bought them shoes because I promised them that I would. And you know me, Sean, I always keep my promises. And I'm like, what? Like it's been 30 years and I'm still waiting to go back to cock of the walk. And then he told me, he says, listen, you have to be here for me to take you, which is kind of his covert way of having me visit Mississippi because he's always wanting me to come back and visit Mississippi because somewhere in his mind, he has forgotten that Mississippi is in Mississippi. And I said, listen, the next time I'm there, we'll go. So right now I am planning to never go back to cock of the walk. And it's a lesson for all parents. Children take your promises seriously. 
And I think it's important to know is because whether you believe it or not, whether you're in touch with it or not, our lives are built around promises. And probably some of us have had circumstances where our lives have been shaped around promises that weren't kept. Maybe they were promises that someone made to us. Maybe they were promises that we made to other people. And for one reason or another, not to place or look for blame, like those promises fell apart. A friend of mine left his job right at the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak because he was starting a new position. But before he could start, the virus had taken hold and people started staying home and his new company said, um, no, we don't have a job for you here. And his old company said, well, you left this one. A former youth group student of mine did the same thing. She was leaving one school district to go work in another school district. And she'd signed her contract, but that was all before she had gotten her new computer and gone through any training. So she has spent this break uh, with a job and with a check, but nothing to do. Our lives are shaped in so many ways by the promises. And we learn or suffer from the reality that if someone doesn't keep their promises over and over and over again, if someone can't keep their promises, that person is just untrustworthy. And the reason that's important to us is because your story with God, my story with God, it's a story of promises, that our lives are built on the promises of God. Is God serious? Will he keep his promises to love us, to care for us? Will God keep his promise to heal and redeem and restore all things? And what's amazing about our lives is that when you flip through the scriptures, is that it's undeniable that humankind's journey with our creator, God's journey with Israel, begins in a promise. In Genesis 12, God comes to a man named Abram and he says, Abram, I am going to bless you and I'm going to bless your wife. And even though you are really, 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 really old, you are gonna, you're gonna become the father of a great nation, more people than sand on the seashore and more than the stars in the sky. That's gonna be your family. But it takes a long time for God to come through on that promise. And Abraham and Sarah, they, they get a little bit impatient. And so they have a child, Abraham has a child with Sarah's handmaiden, it's Ishmael. And God says, that's not really what I intended. And then finally, God gives them a son, Isaac. And so you see over and over at the very beginning of this story, the story of Israel's relationship with their God, the promise is in jeopardy over and over and over again. That God says, I'm gonna promise you this, but you're really old. And I'm gonna promise you this, but now you're really older. And I'm gonna promise you this, I've promised you this, but you take things into your own hand. And then we arrive at this incredible story 
in Genesis 22, one of the most famous stories in all of scripture about Abraham and that son, Isaac. And what the Genesis writer tells us, he says, after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. If you're Abraham, you really have to be questioning this God. And here's why that's important to us. Because Ecclesia, one of our rhythms, one of the ways that we are committed to living life together is to be a people who seek God. And if you're going to seek a God, there are just a lot of different choices you can pick from. There are other religious gods and there are gods in political partisanship and gods in the monetary system and gods in armies and forces. And you read the Bible, you see a God that Abraham encounters who keeps putting this promise in jeopardy. We keep finding the promise in jeopardy. And so if you are Abraham and you hear God say, go to this mountain and offer up your son, the question that you have to answer, the question that all of us have to answer is what kind of God is this? Because if you don't understand the kind of God it is, we are bound to get lost in our seeking. And so the scriptures tell us that God, for the first time in the story, is the one who puts the promise in jeopardy. Genesis goes on. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And this is the first time in the scriptures that the word worship is used in reference to God. Now I'm wondering what the boys think that Abraham and Isaac are going to do. They've never heard of worship before. Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father, Abraham says, here I am, my son. Isaac says, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And this is why so many people have trouble with this story. 
Abraham takes his son Isaac and they start to make their way up the mountain. And all we know is that God has asked Abraham to offer up his son. What kind of God is this? Are you interested? Do you know anyone who's interested in a God who asks us to offer up our sons, our daughters? When you read the newspaper and you see one of those incredibly horrendous stories about a parent who has killed one of their children, none of us think, well, they were probably doing that as an sacrifice to their God. We think those are awful parents. And if there was a God who told them to do that, we would think that person was crazy. But maybe this is one of those places where the Bible winks at us. Because as Abraham gathers his material, he takes the wood for the burnt offering and he lays it on Isaac. And Abraham goes up the mountain and he carries the torch and the knife. That even in this moment, as they make their way up the mountain, Abraham himself carries the tools that even in an accident might harm Isaac. He's that concerned as you would be about your own children that any harm come to his son. Why would you do that? Well, listen to the rest of the story. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I just love this picture. Abraham binds his son, raises his hand to kill him. And I'm guessing that as Abram builds this altar and binds his son and raises the knife to slaughter his son, that that's happening at about the same speed that my daughters clean their room. It's a 30 minute task that takes about 30 days because nobody would want to do this. But the angel steps in and he stops Abraham. This is a famous portrait by an artist named Caravaggio and it's called The Binding of Isaac. And when we think of this story, we often call it the sacrificing of Isaac 
That's really wrong. Because Isaac's not sacrifice. Isaac's bound. And I wonder if Abraham knew this the whole time. This is one of the most disturbing passages in scripture for a lot of people because what kind of God would ask people to sacrifice their children? And you should know that in the ancient world, that it was not uncommon at all for gods to ask their people to sacrifice, to make sacrifices of their children. So what kind of God are we seeking? Well, what we learn early on in the story from Abraham and from Isaac is that it's not the kind of God who would ask you to sacrifice your children. But this God is fundamentally different from all the other gods. All the other gods will ask you to sacrifice your humanity or someone else's humanity at their altar. And early on in the story, when the angel first comes to Abraham, it says, take Isaac, the son whom you love. And all we know from that story is that Abraham loves Isaac. We don't know that Abraham loves God. And we're not told that God loves Abraham. And some of us inherited a faith that how all of these rules and all of these structures, but no one ever said anything about love. That the God we seek moves toward us and lives in us primarily through love and calls us to be the kinds of people who move in and around and through the world through love, it turns out that God actually does love Abraham. God actually does love Isaac. And God actually expects Abraham to love Isaac. This God is different from all the other gods. And we live in a world, Ecclesia, that teaches us that as long as we take care of our house, then we don't really have to care about other people's sons. Other people's sons who are suffering in Africa or the Venezuela-Colombia border other people's sons who suffer in the streets of America. And here's what you need to know. God loves everybody's sons. God loves everybody's children. Because we are all his children. And that God really expects us as his people to love other 
people's sons and daughters the same way we love our own. And it's the easiest thing in the world to put on your blinders about your own life and your own experience and your own wishes for the way the world ought to operate and to see other people just as others. And you know you, you, you're doing that when you're using the word those people or they or always. God expects that his people will love other people's sons the same way that God loves other people's sons. And if we are not doing that, then the God of the Bible is not the God that we seek. We are chasing some other, some counterfeit God. And that's why in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul reminds us that God did not spare his own son for our benefit. And here is the testimony of scripture. The only child that God is willing to sacrifice, the only son that God is willing to sacrifice for your benefit is his own. And that is to all of our benefit so other sons don't have to be sacrificed. And it's for that reason, Ecclesia, that we celebrate the Eucharist each Sunday to remind ourselves and to testify to the world that the only son that needs to be sacrificed has been sacrificed. And because of it, we are unleashed on all the world to love. Let me pray for you. God, give us a supernatural love for others' sons. And Lord, to trust that you are not the kind of God that is willing to sacrifice sons so you can be honored and that if a sacrifice must be made, may we follow you, Lord, in allowing it to be our own. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ecclesia, we now continue our worship by coming to the table of Jesus, who invites each of us to this feast for our souls. This has become a bittersweet time for me, maybe for you too. We're used to taking communion communally, and there are many gifts that togetherness brings. And in this season, we are really missing those gifts. You may be alone in your home taking communion, or maybe you live with others, but you're the only person in your house who wants to feast with Jesus. Perhaps you are one of our communion servers that find great joy in offering the bread and the juice and the wine to your sisters and brothers in our community. This is hard. I know it's hard for you. It's hard for me too. But God has reminded me that it is also sweet. We are still engaging in this weekly rhythm. We are a part, yes, 
but we are together taking communion at the same time in our various households across the city and across the globe. And what Jesus has to offer us in this communion has not changed. This reminder of the outrageous love he has for us, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. So Ecclesia, let's join together in this communion prayer. I will lead as the celebrant. The table is set all around us. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come then to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness we have this feast, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. Ecclesia, whatever your table may contain, this is the body broken and given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. May we taste and see.
Ecclesia, it has been so good to be with you this morning. We are so grateful that you chose to spend this time with us. Now comes the time in our gathering where we get to pray a special blessing over our children. Um, and we, you can feel free to gather the children that you have around you, or you can think of your children or think of any special children in your lives. I'm gonna be thinking about each and every one of the Ecclesia children as I pray today. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would wrap your arms around these children during this time. We pray that they would feel your presence so closely to them. We pray that you would, that they would feel your love, they would feel your protection, they would feel your wisdom guiding them, God. We love them so very much and we want them to be blessed during this time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Ecclesia, it's great to be together as a family. There's no speaking around the fact that we are in incredibly difficult and grief-stricken times. So as we continue to mourn, to pray, and to rise, as we seek understanding, justice, and healing, receive this benediction as a reminder of the Holy Spirit that unifies and animates the body of Christ. These words come from poet Lucille Clifton, who once said of her calling, I would like to be seen as a woman whose roots go back to Africa, who tried to honor being human. My inclination is to try to help. This is entitled, Blessing the Boats. May the tide that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind and then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever. And may you in your innocence sail through this to that. Ecclesia, beyond the face of fear, go forth in unity, compassion, and courage. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.